episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Nithin. We've booted Karthik from the podcast officially. Uh, today was his last day. No, I'm just kidding. He is out of town uh, for the holidays, so I decided to to do something I've wanted to try for a long time, which is to, to go completely solo uh, on this podcast. I think Karthik's done it once before, at least at an open um, I think it's probably a lot more difficult than I realize, and and it's funny like listening to guys like Colin Coward or even Rosillo do this a lot and do it almost every day. Uh, you kind of take for granted how difficult it is to just speak into a microphone for an extended period of time without anybody reacting to you or challenging your opinions. That's probably why those are both the the number one and number two most straw men per podcast uh, ratio uh, that we have in media. But nonetheless. I'm going to give it a shot um, and see what we think, see what happens. I could have pulled on a guest, maybe Kush, maybe someone else. But given that Karthik wasn't able to make it, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for me to try to speak uninterrupted for a long time, which if you know me, you know, is really not that difficult. Um, But like I said, as it relates to having specific topics to hit on versus just riffing about anything under the sun, I think that's where it brings some additional challenge. So if you hear me space out or kind of hear me just trail off without either you know having the right numbers up in front of me or forgetting what I was talking about to begin with you know why I mean the week between Christmas and New Year's is barely real time like I think for for most of us who are just kind of sitting around I don't think these days count on the calendar and because of that you know you got to take that into account when when you hear where how I'm breaking things down because I myself don't know where I am don't know what day it is but um but yeah, before we get started on what I wanted to do today, I was thinking about this. This this week in the NBA was so crazy, right? We had Christmas Day, obviously marquee, five games. You had Tatum going crazy. I think he had 41 in a beatdown of Milwaukee. Uh, you had Jokic putting up a ridiculous 41, 15, and 15, coming back uh, in a big way against the Suns and to win in overtime. Uh, you know, Joel Embiid showed out versus the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, as I feel like he and Harden do every single time they play that team. And then, you know, that was set the stage for a pretty ridiculous week. Obviously, the the headliner being Luka and just 60, 21, 10 video game numbers, kind of hard to even fathom that that took place. And I was kind of thinking about it. Well, the MVP race is as crowded as it's been, right? Like you just think about how many candidates there are because so many teams are playing well. So many of the stars are playing well. Um, And so I just went through the list. I was like, there's 10 guys that you could reasonably make a case for maybe not to win the whole thing, but to finish top three or top five, which I think is important because it shows how many quote unquote real candidates there are. Like I listed out my favorites and I didn't even have a guy like uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the top three because I just think, with the way Tatum's played, Jokic, Durant, Luka, those guys I put all ahead of Giannis, who, by the way, is a two-time MVP and has played most of the season without his his second-best player in Chris Middleton. So it's going to be a hell of a finish. Obviously, injuries, you know, teams tanking or playoff positioning, load management, all these things are going to factor in. We're still you know, not even halfway point of the season right now. I think most teams have played just under 41 games. But I figured this was a good time in the context of the MVP discussion to almost do a bit of a power poll um, for where we're at with the league. Um, I'm still a little confused, I would say, in terms of who I think is a real title favorite or who I think is, 
you know, fringe contender. Could they make round two? Could they make round three? Sure, but I'm not necessarily going to pencil them in as a team that could, you know, hoist it all, whichever name the trophy that they're going for at this point, they're all named something. But um, but yeah, let's get into the power pole. I got this broken down by by categories. Um, and so the first one is just called, I got this from Reddit. I can't even take credit for this creativity, even though I probably shouldn't have said that because you wouldn't have known otherwise. But this is the induced despair for the new Gobert category, which, as we all know, is all about uh, drafting Victor Wembenyama in next year's draft, or at least positioning yourself for the best odds to do so. As we know, the top four teams each have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. I think right now, clear Victor's number one, Scoot Henderson's number two, and then there's probably a good amount of talent from that three to five range. So it's not quite a loss uh, to not get the number one pick, but I think in a year where you have this level of prospect, anything but that is a bit of a disappointment, even if you end up with a you know all-star caliber player. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know if you guys have seen some of these some of these uh, clips from from Victor this season. The the things he's doing at his frame, his size are truly um, one of one. I mean, when Durant came in the league, that was probably the biggest kind of like, what the hell is going on? Like, who is this guy? Like this string bean, seven footer who could move like a guard, who could shoot like a guard. Victor has taken that to new heights because he's also moving like a guard, except he's seven four and probably still growing. So praying for his legs and his joints and everything this season, making sure he's healthy because this guy in the NBA could be a force right away. And I don't, you know, we all know I'm a prisoner of the moment as Carthy Lex remind me, but at the same time, um, I think if you, we had talked about this, I think a couple months ago, but if you just look at the level of prospect he is compared to guys who have come through in the last, you know, 20 years, I'd really only put LeBron and maybe, maybe Anthony Davis um, at that level in terms of what they were coming into the draft. LeBron to me is the clear one. You kind of knew as soon as you got him, he was going to be instantly great. And he was. Victor, maybe because we just don't have as much footage on him, uh, maybe because we can't really assess the competition, I think physically probably projects to be as good, if not better, than LeBron from just like a physical trade standpoint. But from a will he succeed, what's the floor, um, I think probably going to peg him at number two in the last 20 years, which is <laughs> pretty good compliment nonetheless. But anyway, the induced despair for the new Gobert category. So at number 30, I have the Detroit Pistons. Um, number 29, I have the Charlotte Hornets. Number 28, I have the Houston Rockets. And 27, I have the San Antonio Spurs. So if you think about the the Pistons, they're in an interesting spot, right? Because Cade Cunningham only played 12 games this season. He's already been shut down. Uh, he was, of course, their second leading scorer. I'm still a little bit worried, uh, candidly, about Cade. I feel like through two seasons, he came into the league as this almost Luka light level player, playmaker, had a ton of feel for the game, but really could shoot. So he could be a great off the ball player, which is something Luka necessarily hasn't shown. So that was kind of be to be the difference. He still can't really shoot. I mean, in 12 games, super small sample size, but he was 26 and six, but you know, just 28% from three. Um, and that's where you start to get the concerns, right? Because when is that shot coming? If you look at his rookie year, he did the same. That being said, he's still very, very young, just 21 years old, so I'm not necessarily concerned. I do think they they really got lucky with Jaden Ivey falling to five. I think this guy's got special potential. Um, right now he's going through the rookie woes and is probably taking on a role in the offense that's a little bit too much for where he's at in his, his maturity curve, but 
still a solid player. You know, they have Boyan Bogdanovich sitting there as a, another trade piece to add more assets. I don't think he finishes the year with this team. It just wouldn't make sense. But think about what Troy Weaver's done. He's got Ivy. He's got Cunningham. He's got Isaiah Stewart, who's just 21. Jalen Dern, who's 19, is showing flashes, already averaging nine rebounds a game in just 24 minutes. Um, and so you have a lot of young pieces. The question is, who's going to be the centerpiece? Is Cade good enough to be a number one on a contender? Or is he more likely a number two, uh, potentially number three? But let's call him a number two. And then it's like, okay, could we land that big fish at the top of the draft? I still think they're going to be bad, not just next year, but the year after as well, or at least in the lottery. So they probably have one more chance or two more chances to land a big fish. And then you pivot to free agency, you pivot to adding role players and hope your guys develop. So either way, they're not really playing for much this year, especially with Cade out. Um, 29, Charlotte. So the Hornets are in a pretty precarious position because <laughs> stop me if you heard that before, since it's happened basically every year of, of, of this franchise's existence, since they came in in 2003 or four, whenever they have one player of note, which is LaMelo ball. Um, he's only played 12 games this season. He was, he was nursing an ankle injury for much of the year and just came back, got hurt, then came back again. He's putting up, you know, Solid numbers, 24, 8, and 6. Like He made the All-Star team last year, one of the youngest players ever to make the All-Star team. The problem is they have literally nothing around him. So Miles Bridges was supposed to be that second-best player, you know, pseudo-All-Star level talent. And look, I mean, he got into some pretty serious um, legal issues with domestic violence and other things, pretty, pretty terrible things to read through. Now, they're still talking about potentially re-signing him, having been suspended by the league. So I don't know what the, the answer is there or what the story is there. But nonetheless, I don't think you could have predicted your second best player who's also on a similar timeline as LaMelo just going out the window altogether from a basketball standpoint, right? Putting aside all the off-court stuff. So let's assume that they may bring him back at some point, but who really knows? Total TBD. What else do you have here? You have Terry Rozier, who's solid but overpaid you have kelly Oubre on an expiring you have gordon hayward who's okay but extremely overpaid and doesn't play uh pj washington fine i mean there's just no talent on this team beyond Lamelo that you're even remotely excited about if there's any team that could land victor and really change their fortunes beyond any level of measure it's the hornets they badly need it they play in a market nobody gives a shit about this team it's it's college basketball country. We know that it's, it's even, you know, college football, NFL with the Panthers are, you know, way more of a fan following than the Hornets. They just never been able to get their footing because they never commit to, to the right type of talent. This is a team that traded the number six pick that became Gerald Wallace or sorry, the number six pick that became Damian Lillard for Gerald Wallace in 2002. That shows or in 2012, excuse me, that shows you kind of where their mindset is as far as, uh, win now, but but truly penny-wise, pound-foolish kind of situation, and we see that play out over and over again. LaMelo is going to have a really interesting free agency decision. I, I always say there's nobody who, if they're offered a rookie max extension, basically after the third year of their career, there's nobody who's going to turn that, that kind of guaranteed money. Not only do you get the guarantee a year early, you also get more money with your incumbent team than with, with the team in free agency. If there's one guy... I could say people were talking about Zion. I was like, dude, get out of here. Like Zion's missed two out of the four seasons he's played. There's no way he's turning down 190 million. But there's one guy who I could see trying to buck the curve. It's the dude whose dad started uh, almost pseudo fake shoe brand uh, and tried to sign all his sons to contract. So that would be LaMelo. 
we'll see. I mean, we know that LeVar has big market aspirations. Charlotte's maybe the smallest, least uh, interested market in the country. And so I'm curious to see kind of where the, how that plays out. I still think he'll sign that max, but keep an eye out for that, whether it's, you know, turning down and signing the qualifying offer or almost doing what Perzingis did in New York, where, you know, the situation had reached untenable levels. And he's like, get me out of here before that extension kicks in. Um, nothing that I've heard yet that indicate that he's unhappy, but it's more of how do we see this play out? Cause I don't think this team is going to get better over the next couple of years, in which case it's now four years of losing. Um, I'm not sure that will sit well with him. All right. 28, the Houston Rockets. So I don't know about the Rockets, right? You look at them and they have spurts of being okay. Um, they have, they play in competitive games. Um, they have obviously good young talent, but then they're 29th in offense, 28th in defense. And this is year three of a rebuild that doesn't exactly seem like it's improving. They're last in the Western Conference, you know, third worst record overall behind the two teams we just talked about. And although you like flashes that you're seeing from Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, even Jabari Smith has come along from an early season struggles where, where Karthik and I were trying to bury him a little bit. Um, what is this team? Who's going to really be the guy to take this from a team that maxes out at 32 wins to one that can win 42 and eventually 52? I don't know. Uh, you hear a lot of reports recently that's popped up this week about James Harden uh, wanting to go back there. I can't imagine that the Rockets would be thrilled. Um, their their ownership, certainly, from a ticket and revenue standpoint might be, but from a team-building operation, what are you doing with 35, 34-year-old James Harden dropping him in the middle of all these straight up kids, uh, which by the way, Eric Gordon's also on this roster, which I, I continually find funny just from a standpoint of the average age of everyone else. And then you have Eric Gordon, who's 34 and in you know, year 15 of his career, still kind of kicking it in Houston. Um, I guess that, you know, tax regime is really nice down there. There's no doubt about that. Um, so anyway, I think Houston, this feels like a punt year, maybe, they, they get a guy in the draft, and maybe they start spending in free agency. This is a franchise that has never had problems landing premier talent, right? Whether it's Tracy McGrady being traded there and then re-signing, Yao, obviously, his presence there and, and wanting to stay. They, they brought in James Harden, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. Like, they've had a lot of big names roll through this this city, and they always uh, get get meetings with key free agents. So whenever they're ready to flip the switch, I think they'll have that set up. The question is, are their players currently good enough to encourage someone to come sign who is, you know, more of an established veteran? Does he see Jalen Green as a guy that can win now? Does he see, you know, Alperin Shangun as, you know, people call him baby Jokic. I'm not going there, but, you know, that type of playmaking big, is that someone you can play off of? We'll have to see it. And, and and how long does that coaching staff in the front office really have to, to run this out? Because I know Tillman Fertitta is not interested in seeing a loser, especially the way he's been hit financially because of the pandemic and his presence in restaurants and such and such. So uh, I think they want to turn this around quickly. I just don't know what exactly that path is, minus you know, totally reversing course from what Raphael Stone has set out for him. Um, and then lastly, the San Antonio Spurs. So the Spurs is interesting. They, they sold out on DeJounte Murray exactly the right time i mean he's a good player as nothing uh was going to you know help them take a step up from where they were last year which was losing in the play-in as a 10 seed and going 34 and 48 
credit to the Spurs for recognizing this isn't a real team. We got hot at the end and the Lakers tailed off, the Kings tailed off, and therefore we snuck into, you know, one of the two marquee games, but we're still firmly a lottery team. I think they sold high on DeJounte Murray without having to pay him. You know, they locked up Keldon Johnson to an extremely favorable deal. Four years, 80 million. That's going to look like one of the best contracts in the NBA if it's not already. Um, and they have a couple young young guys, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones. You know, the Josh Primo thing was kind of horrible to hear about, similar to Miles Bridges, but uh, you can't <laughs> predict that, I guess. And so that's a first-round pick gone. And so, you know, I expect them to move on guys like J- Jakob Pertl, Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, maybe even Zach Collins, guys who probably don't fit their timeline, have value to other contenders around the league. Like, wouldn't Pertl be awesome on the Clippers who – potentially could use a backup to Zubak. They rely a lot on Zubak who kind of get, you know, if he goes down or if he gets in foul trouble and they have to play a Jokic or they have to play an Anthony Davis or DeAndre Hayden in the playoffs, what are they going to do to guard them? Um, so maybe maybe someone like that. Doug McDermott's name has obviously been tossed around. Like, you know, that kind of shooting talent, 42% from three on five attempts a game, like that's going to be super valuable, similar to Boyan Bogdanovich. So we'll see what happens there. But I think San Antonio – overall just just kind of truly punting and and we'll see what pops uh, you know sort of timeline is right like there's a lot of rumors about whether it's going to be quinn snyder's job once pops ready to kind of abdicate that throne so to speak i thought he was going to retire after completing you know the the gold medal win for team usa which got moved from 2020 to 2021 because of covid i thought that was going to be his swan song but but maybe it's this one and maybe it's one more year if they do land a guy like Wembenyama to transition almost like they got Duncan in 97 and became instantly good. You do not have a David Robinson next to him here, so I don't expect that. But but maybe he wants to sort of like get that trajectory back pointing upwards uh, before moving on into sort of the next phase of his life and career. So, all right, that is way too much time spent on the bad teams we're already at 18 minutes into this podcast and i haven't even talked about anybody who's who's actually going to be relevant for this season um next category and i'm not sure we're going to get there with this category it's called aimless hopeless and searching for answers so we got six teams in this category 26 the los angeles lakers 25 my washington wizards 24 the minnesota timberwolves 23 the chicago bulls 22 the atlanta hawks and 21 the toronto raptors so the Lakers. We talk about them a lot, so I don't have to spend a ton of time on them. I will say this. LeBron James is 575 points away from passing Kareem for the most points in NBA history. Remember, he already has the most points when combining playoffs and regular season, but people don't think of it that way. This is truly the hallmark record, I think, in, in the history of the NBA as far as individual records go. 38,000 points for Kareem. LeBron is at 37 and change. It's an amazing, amazing feat. Like, Let's let's not get it twisted. The fact that this guy has been at this level of sustained greatness for 20 years is truly unprecedented. Um, and I think we've talked about it ad nauseum in terms of his legacy, his place in history. But more importantly, what he's still doing at this age, I, I can't even believe it. Like his athleticism has obviously declined a little bit, but he's still yamming on dudes, right? Like he can still get into the paint and get his shot off. He still has that bully ball strength. Um Problem for him is the Lakers are absolute trash. Um, they were showing a pulse when Anthony Davis was playing. Um, you know, in his 25 games that he's played, he's averaging 27 and 12. So you're talking about pretty much peak New Orleans Pelicans, Anthony Davis. 
what happens. He plays too much one week and goes down with the stress reaction. LeBron, I mean, 28, 8, and 7. It's just ridiculous that he's putting up these numbers, but they're terrible. Um, but the reason I brought up the points is if you look at it around 27, 28 game, points a game, which is what he's averaging now, he's going to break this record in about 20, 20 games, which is prior to the All-Star break, the amount of the kid from Akron hashtags that are going to be in your face, up your butt, like it's going to be nuts. Just prepare for that right now. I'm telling you, you're going to get inundated with LeBron Instagram posts. I'm not supposed to be here. Strive for greatness. Kid from Akron. The James gang. Um, what else does he do? Whatever he's doing on the shop. Um, you know, just a ton of rocket emojis. Uh, a ton of people congratulating him. His Instagram story is going to be, you know, when people post, like especially, you know, brides or grooms come back from weddings and they repost everybody and the, 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 the width of the bar is, is like millimeter. Right. And you're like, all right, I get it. Like a lot of these are the same picture from different angles. Like maybe you just pick and choose. You don't have to do all five picks that every single person posts of you. You could kind of like, you know, do a little mix and match, you know, mosaic theory sort of fit. But LeBron is going to post everything, like everything that everybody has said, including people he doesn't know, including people he can't even see the the notifications for. He's going to find a way to feed that into his Instagram story. So I think that day you might want to watch two or three and then mute the rest because it's going to be uh, significant. And then the other thing is it's going to happen before the All-Star break. So <laughs> the All-Star game is in Salt Lake City. You kind of wish it was in a little bit more of a uh, fun location just for the, 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 I feel like the players get up more when it's with somewhere they want to be, but nonetheless, you know, park city, get some skiing in. I'm sure they're all you know, big skiers out there, but the self adulation and then also the forced league, uh, response to him breaking the record prior to the all-star game is going to be another spectacle to watch. I can't wait. I expect everything and more from, from maybe one of the most shameless self promoters we've had in sports. But remember what I said at the top, still very, very uh, commendable. And I can't believe he actually broke the record when I thought nobody else would. So anyway, wanted to touch on that. Lakers outside of that are in a world of trouble. And I really don't think they should trade their picks, uh, even if you are wasting a LeBron season. I think at this point, there's no deal on the table that's going to make you a top four team in the West. And if you're not there, then what are you trying to do? Uh, how are you going to give up your future? And Anthony Davis, even he comes back, you you know that you can't necessarily rely on him. You're going to rely on him for four straight rounds. Part of why they were able to be successful in the bubble is they had a four-month break before the season resumed. Five-month break. You know, season stops in March. Anthony Davis and LeBron get a whole five months to, to train and rest and recover, and then they got to come in and just play the playoffs. I'm not saying it doesn't count by any stretch. I'm just saying that situation was tailor-made for two guys who are either old or frequently injured and they're not going to get that benefit this year. So, um, okay. 25, the wizards. I talked about them a few weeks ago. I'm not going to say any more except that the Beal contract is one of the five worst contracts in professional sports. Uh, we said that at the time it continues to hurt our ability to think clearly clairvoyantly. This is not a team that's going anywhere yet. There's rumors about them being buyers at the deadline, trading young talent for a guy like Jay Crowder, who, by the way, is nobody going to ask why this guy who is a fringe starter and role player is holding out uh, versus just showing up and doing their job. Is he the worst player in NBA history to hold out? I would say probably so. Um, but nonetheless, Wizards are trying to make a play for the 10 seed, get one more 
TV game. You, know, you, don't, you don't even get a home game. So I don't know what Ted's playing for. You're not going to get all the way up to eight. Um, and Beal has a no trade cost and is guaranteed $250 million. So that is the wizard situation. 24, Minnesota. So 24, the, the, the Timberwolves are interesting because I have taken a lot of L's in my NBA prediction universe. I'm not sure I've ever been as wrong as I was about what I thought this Timberwolves season was going to be. When we talked this summer about the Rudy Gobert monster trade package, which if you, if you remember was four firsts plus the first that they just took. So really five firsts when you add in Walker Kessler, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and Patrick Beverly, you're talking about a package that we've pretty much not seen for anyone since Anthony Davis, who, again, was one of the five best players in the world and was the key cog on the title team. So that that proved to be a worthwhile trade. Gobert uh, has a number of flaws. Most notably, he gets paid $35 million a year. He's 30 years old, and he cannot do anything on offense that doesn't involve someone feeding him the ball at the rim. So... I thought it was going to work, though, in the regular season. I thought for two reasons. One, the Timberwolves' biggest weaknesses last year were rebounding and team defense. And Gobert's two good things in his in his career are those two things. Yet, they're still 14th in defense, so they're not uh, excellent. They're 19th in offense, so they've taken a huge step back, despite what I thought was going to be ascension, kind of a crowning year for Anthony Edwards, and then Cat bringing back his, his excellence. And then... In terms of rebounding, I mean, they're 15th in the league in, total, in, in, in defensive rebounds, 23rd in total rebounds. So you're not even talking about improving on your weaknesses with the guy who does those things exactly. It's very bizarre. You know, I was kind of hoping Nick Finch would be able to help figure out the offense. And Anthony Edwards has finally come into his own a little bit of late. He's up to 24 a game on, you know, okay shooting, but... I guess when I saw the playoff series versus Memphis, I kind of thought he was going to do what Ja did the prior year. So if you remember Ja, they lost to Utah in round one as the 1-8. They won game one, then lost the next four. But he looked like a star. Um, and so coming into the next season, it was like, okay, Ja's here. He's going to take the leap. And he did. They won 54 games, the number two seed. He was incredible. And I kind of thought that Anthony Edwards, who similar pedigree as a top pick, was going to sort of make that same leap. And either he didn't come in in shape or he's got some questions about his motor, which were the same pre-draft. Those are starting to rear their ugly head. I worry because this is a team that has been good for exactly one year. And the level of vitriol they have when they play together looks like they're the Lob City Clippers, the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul Clippers in like year six of failing. Uh, I'm not sure why they uh, cannot get along together on the court, why the cohesion is so poor. You know, they're 16 and 19, and suddenly Utah's looking at it like, do we even need to be bad ourselves, or is Minnesota just going to handle that for us and get us a lottery pick? So they owe a lot of draft equity to the Jazz, um, and they have this ridiculous Gobert contract. They have Anthony Edwards, who's going to be due a max extension this summer, and he's obviously going to get that. And then they have Cat, who just signed a Supermax. He's hurt right now, but was not having a great year before that. So... If you're Tim Connolly, you're year one of the job. You made this splash of epic proportions. I don't know what in the world uh, they're going to do next. I mean, the answer that everyone's talking about is trading Cat, which feels counterintuitive to trade your younger and better player versus Gobert, but Gobert has no value. They can't really bring anything close to what they gave up for him back in a deal, and so I guess this is the only path. Um, 23, Chicago. So They've pulled a few wins out of their ass of Blade, including a ridiculous game a couple nights ago versus Milwaukee, where they were down 15 in the fourth quarter. Um, 
We talked about the Bulls as well last week, so I won't spend too much time here. I say that, and then I'm like 10 minutes per team, basically. Um, I don't know. Is this? We don't know if this is entertaining. Again, there's no feedback loop. Like People are just going to listen to this, be bored as hell. I know I have a very monotone voice that I've tried to work on for almost 34 years as of next week, and I'm not able to change it. I There's no inflection. There's no kind of like, you know, change in tone or volume when one thing or another excites me. It's just all one pace. And it's just me droning on the NBA standings for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, But I will say, if I do talk for an hour and 15 minutes on this pod, I'm going to be more impressed with myself than anything else. I don't even care if people are like, this sucks. That was maybe one of the worst episodes of all time because it's just a personal achievement at that point. But nonetheless, I digress. Where are we? The Bulls. Yes, the Bulls. They have uh, DeRozan still playing uh, almost as well as he did last year, which is amazing in one regard because he's 34 and was written off like five seasons ago. But at the same time, it's concerning because if he's playing that well, why is this team underperforming to such a great degree from where they were last year? Um, You know, they're pretty middle of the pack defensively. Offensively, they're below average, which is the real problem, right? If you could build an average defense, you figured you had enough firepower between Vucevic, Zach Levine, DeRozan, and then, you know, sort of emerging Patrick Williams that you'd carry yourselves to a top 10 offense and and be in that top six or at least seven, eight range. Chicago is, you know, they're just, they don't have any depth. And so Levine's got his issues with the knee. He's okay. He's playing decently. If I'm a team like Dallas, do I make a play for him if I can? Absolutely. Uh, just because I don't see any other way for them to acquire true all-star talent uh, next to Luca. without that. You know, you're going to have to take on some damaged goods in some senses if you have as little as you can offer as Dallas does. But at the same time, it would make me nervous. He's just signed a five-year, $215 million deal and does not look like the player who's made the all-star team the last couple of years. He just doesn't have that same kind of bounce. Um, and if you remember, he tore that same ACL uh, with, with Chicago or actually with Minnesota earlier in his career. So. Not something to be taken lightly. And we still don't know what the hell Lonzo Ball is doing. This guy had a meniscus surgery in January of 2022. We're coming up on 12 months without, you know, any sign of return. And the likelihood is he doesn't play this season. Uh, Patrick Williams has not taken the leap that I thought he would. Um, I don't know if that's a lack of opportunity. I don't know if that's just because he doesn't have enough uh, creativity and juice on, on ball, which is where I'm leaning. And, you know, the rest of the guys are all role players who are great in specific spots. But anytime you're counting on 27 minutes a game from Io Dusunmu and 25 from Caruso and 20 from Kobe White, like those are good players in spot duty. Caruso probably more than that, but they just they, they're, they're running out of body. So I think you can throw at um, teams and then just expect, oh, yeah, DeRozan will do his his uh, his mid range routine. No worries. But. I think that's going to be a problem for this team and, and something that they're going to have to keep an eye out for. Uh, we talked about this. They owe a top four protected pick to Orlando. Do you blow it up and try your best to just get in that range? Or do you just try to go for the plane and say, okay, we're willing to give up the 14th pick. That's not a huge detriment. Then we get out of this deal and we can reshape around that. Sounds like they're going to go for that ladder option just because it's very hard to get into the top four. Um, even if you finish with the fourth or fifth best record, you better ha- have about a coin flip chance of keeping that pick. So they could be both bad and give up the pick, which would be worst case scenario. So, all right, 22 Atlanta. Um, you know, since the conference finals run, everything is pointed 
down. I think they had too much success too early. They weren't ready. They beat a Philly team that was absolutely imploding. Everyone remembers Ben Simmons, you know, passing up on the layup and the team blowing a 25 point lead at home in game five. So not to say they didn't deserve it. You know, you got to play the way the ball drops and then they did and they made the conference finals and they took two games off of Milwaukee who won the title. That's nothing to sneeze at. Problem is, I think it convinced them of a roster that was ready when it really wasn't. They've committed really big money to Trey Young, obviously super max deal for him, to to John Collins, five years, $125 million, to DeAndre Hunter, four years, $90 million. They're going to pay DeJounte Murray, who they traded three unprotected first for, so they're not exactly going to let him walk, uh, but they can't re-sign him for another two years. And then you have Bogdanovich, who makes $15 million. You have Clint Capella, who makes $20 million. So a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of guys who are probably tier two or tier three players being paid as tier one or tier two. And that's led to a problem, not to mention Trey's downfall. He's shooting, you know, the worst splits of his career. He's he's pretty much, uh, you know, let me look at this. He's on seven and a half attempts from three. He's shooting 32%, which is Westbrookian levels. If Westbrook was doing that, you would hear it leading sports center, first take, first things first, whatever the show, you know, Acho does where he speaks in extreme uh, enunciation, saying the most simplest words of all time. Um, and then uh, whatever Skip Bayless is undisputed. All of those would be leading with Westbrook shooting 32% on seven and a half attempts. So I'm waiting to see until it, it starts to matter for Trey Young. But this team is headed south um, right now on the fringe of the plan, which is kind of nuts when you think about how much they've spent, uh, both salary-wise as well as draft equity-wise, to build this team. I think they thought they were going to do what Cleveland's done this year, uh, add the star guard next to their initial star guard, and it just hasn't worked out. Um Okay, maybe they go trade John Collins for for Cam Johnson and uh, Jay Crowder. Promise you that won't work. I think they they need to take a really long look at what they have with Trey and how they can build around him. I think he's a great player, but it's just it's very difficult. He's one of the harder players to build around just because of how much of a sieve he is defensively, um, and and what a unique style he has offensively, where the ball is literally in his hands, you know, hundred percent of the game without necessarily the efficiency or the shock creation that you might see from a guy like Luca or prime Harden, et cetera. And then 21, maybe the team I'm worried least about in this group is the Toronto Raptors. I just think that they're in a weird situation where Pascal Siakam is putting together yet another all NBA level season, which is amazing. He's up to 27 a game, you know, nine rebounds, seven assists. Like this is just bizarre. Like I don't think people are appreciating enough the versatility and how well-rounded his game has become since being somewhat of a limited second fiddle next to Kawhi in that 2019 title run. He's turned into a superstar, and they're still losing games a lot. They've had some injuries. You know, Gary Trent's been out a bunch, Fred Van Vliet. Scotty Barnes has been the, the, the big question, though. Like, if you look at his rookie year when he won MVP, uh, rookie of the year to, to now, he's kind of not gotten better Uh at much, I mean, I think his playmaking has improved a little bit uh, when you just look at his assists, but then, you know, turnovers have ticked up. His shooting has gone down. It just feels like you're wondering why he didn't make the jump that we'd expect of someone who was kind of anointed as, you know, one of the stars of the draft class. Come back to his pre-draft evaluation where it was a surprise that Toronto took him at four. Remember, Jalen Suggs was the popular pick there. And they got it right, right? Obviously, Suggs has struggled. He won, uh, Barnes has won Rookie of the Year. Could easily just be, you know, this guy is 21 years old, and, and therefore it's going to take him a little bit of time uh, to get acclimated, and I think that's where we're at with it. But something to keep an eye on for Toronto is how do they 
move forward from here. You know, they're 20, they're 15 and 20 overall, 19th in defense, 13th in offense. So they're kind of middle of the pack. Maybe they should have won a few more games that they've lost, but I don't know that anybody's looking. If you look at their over under from preseason, it was 46 and a half. I don't think they're going to come anywhere close to that unless they make a trade or make a run. And what was initially thought as even like a Kevin Durant destination now might go the other way, which is do we blow it up, build around Barnes, build around maybe Ananobi, cash in on Siakam before he gets really, really expensive and, and go from there? Because I think Siakam, if he was put on the table, could get a package that's better than DeJounte Murray. I think he's a better player. Uh, and he's only 28 years old, so he still has four or five years left of kind of his prime. Um, he hasn't played a ton in his career when you look minutes-wise just because, you know, those early years he was still – sort of a bench player uh, I think that's if I'm the, like a team like the Wizards who don't want to tank I think he's a guy whatever it took you would put your ship push push your chips into the table for so all right winning more than desired is our next category we have 20 Orlando Magic 19 Oklahoma City Thunder I think both of these teams are a little bit better than they expected for the Thunder this is the star turn we've been waiting to see for, for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's going to make the all-star team for the first time in his career, and it's absolutely well-deserved. What started off as like a little bit of a hot streak has turned into a full season of sustained excellence. You know, he's 31 and a half a game. He's taken 10 free throws, making 92%, um, 51% from the field, 53% on. So really, really impressive season from Shea. Um, if you look at the numbers, there's there's still – very solid team with him on the court and not so much when he sits. They need to fill around talent. This is where it sucks that Chet got hurt this year because it would have been really fun to see him with Giddy, with Dort, with 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 Shea. Uh, they just don't have enough talent right now to really make noise, but he's too good to let them tank. So unless they give him, you know, another plantar fasciitis kind of situation, which is totally possible, I expect them to stay in that sort of maybe playing, fringe playing, 10, 11, 12 range in the West which is going to get them, you know, the seventh, eighth pick. We'll see what they do. Um, they obviously have a war chest of assets. There's no way that a team would trade out of the number one pick, you know, for, for, for a Wemby or even probably number two for Scoot. But maybe they can get into that top three, four, just throw five, six first rounders at if they really like a guy behind that. Those twins that are at overtime elite um, are, are supposed to be the next kind of prize after those top two. So Oklahoma City. Orlando, you know, Orlando is in a really fun situation. I love this roster. I cannot believe how good Paolo was right away, even though he was the number one guy on my board. Uh, I just think he's so much more polished than I expected as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid uh, with one year of college experience. And then you look at Franz. I remember, dude, I was watching uh, – I don't watch a ton of college basketball, as you guys know. But I was watching Michigan in the tournament the year there. I think they were the one seed or the two seed. It was the year that UCLA uh, made the finals um, or the final four, actually. And UCLA beat beat Michigan in the Elite Eight or Sweet 16. And I remember being so unimpressed by Franz. And people were like, well, this guy's a top 10 pick. I'm like, what? Like, he does not move like a top 10 pick. He doesn't seem to be able to get to his spots, be able to score with any level of ease against college players. Totally, totally wrong about him. He is a bonafide professional scorer. I just think if you make him the third option on your offense and Paolo, maybe he's the one, maybe he's the two, maybe he's the one as a scorer, but two is like the overall best player. And you add a true point guard to these guys with Wendell Carter, with whatever you're getting from even guy like Bol Bol, who is very impressive. It's, I mean, they have so much young talent. Uh, you want Jalen Suggs to be a little bit better. You kind of wish he was a little bit better. Um, 
you know, they used a top five pick on him last year. So the story's not out, but I'm getting a lot of Chris Dunn vibes from him. If you guys remember, Chris Dunn out of Providence was kind of the consummate leader, defender, et cetera, and just didn't have enough all juice offensively. I kind of feel like Jalen Suggs is in that camp. So anyway, that that's uh, Orlando's in a good spot. I think they're, especially with Chicago imploding, like we'll see, they might get two top 10 picks this year. And they can really make some noise, either in the trade market or either uh, just sort of getting two shots at the at the at the ball, just like they did with Franz and and uh, and Suggs. They went you know sort of one for two. Even if they go one for two again, that's another key piece of the core. All right, next division, surprisingly competent. Uh, Eighteen, the New York Knicks. Seventeen, the Utah Jazz. Sixteen, the Indiana Pacers, and fifteen, the Portland Trailblazers. So. Excuse me, one more. 14, the Sacramento Kings. Look at that. Who would thought the Kings would have been the top half of this very unofficial, totally amateur power poll that I put together through roughly 39 games of the season? Very impressive stuff from the Kings. Um, the Knicks. The Knicks are solid, man. Like, Jalen Brunson is a professional player. And frankly, the contract he was given, so many people clowned it. I don't think people quite understand the cap number that's going to happen in the next two to three years is going to make everybody's just skin crawl when you look at the numbers these guys are making. And again, it's 50-50, right? So it's not like they're making money that isn't going to the owners or isn't going anywhere else. Everyone's making money in this new NBA environment. And so you saw a glimpse of that where Dame Lillard signed a two-year, $120 million extension. Uh, that's going to pay him $62 million a year when he's 36, I believe. So you can imagine what some of these deals are going to look like when you give Jalen Brunson, who's just 26, you know, 22 million a year or 25 million a year. That's nothing. Like he's been awesome for them. He's really stabilized. I know they've lost a few here. They had one eight straight. Now I think they've lost actually um, five straight. So they're back to 500, but I think Randall's made big leaps back to the All-NBA season he had a couple of seasons ago. And I actually think if I do it right now, he's probably on my All-Star team. I think they get one guy. So it's really either him or Brunson, which is a huge win. Um, And then you have Barrett, who I think I can't quit RJ Barrett. For some reason, I think this guy is way better than he actually is. I know that he's inefficient chucker who gets to 20 points because he takes 20 shots. But something about him still brings me back. And he's still he's still young. He's only 22, so we'll see what he becomes. Um, could he become a Jeremy Grant type? Could he become a Kyle Kuzma type later in his career? I think it's possible, uh, which means that you're gonna have um, you're gonna have a guy that could be a third or fourth option on a good offense. And so um, I like where the Knicks are headed. They still have a ton of picks whenever they want to cash it in, whether it's for a guy like Cat or even someone like I don't know Jimmy Butler if they if they really want to mess up their their, their their sort of like age strategy here. Um, and, and I think, you know, as long as they can stay above 500 and potentially get into the playoffs, at least a play in game at home, maybe I think the crowd will be into it. I think Tibbs gets one more year and then we'll see, we'll see what happens with a decent free agent class, uh, coming up, um, in the NBA. So, all right, jazz, I'll take the jazz and Pacers, the next two teams together. Both of these teams were expected to be in that first induced despair for the new Gobert division. Uh, shout out to the Reddit page again that I found that on. They're both way better. Um, I think when you look at the coaching, one is an old veteran champion coach in Rick Carlisle. One is a first-year coach in Will Hardy. Both of them have been outstanding this season, um, really creative offensively. I think they've taken what I would call maybe prior 
previously thought of as limited players and and brought out the best in them. If you look at Utah, like it's a bunch of castoffs, right? Minus Mike Conley, who was brought there as, to be the final piece of a championship team. You got Jordan Clarkson, who's been on three, four teams. You've got Laurie Markinen, who's been on three teams. You've got Malik Beasley, who's bounced around. Um, you have uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who was kind of cast off from Minnesota once they got Gobert. Uh, you know, a lot of guys who are playing minutes for this both teams. Um, and then in in in, in uh, Indiana, you have Miles Turner, who's been in trade rumors for a thousand straight years, and Buddy Hill the same way. Uh, Andrew Nimhart, a second round pick, who's who's contributing. So I just think they've done the most to maximize their talent. We've all thought these two teams were going to go away, and they just haven't. Um, and I think with with Utah, they play such a fun brand of basketball. If you ever watch the Jazz, they're moving the ball. Everybody is capable of shooting, passing, cutting. I didn't even mention Kelly Olynyk, who for some reason I feel like every time I watch Kelly Olynyk, he's like the greatest player ever. Um, yet he's passed around a lot. He's a role player. Shit, I mean, he killed the Wizards in Game 7 of the 2017 semi conference semifinals that stopped us from going to our first conference finals in 43 years. And so I do have a little bit of an issue with Kelly Olenek. Um And so neither of us gone away. I think the question they're both going to have to ask is they have a lot of tradable assets between the two teams. Do they pick a lane? Or do they just say, "Let's hey, we're having fun. Let's just keep it going. We know the Indiana ownership group hates tanking, so they're probably more likely to kind of keep it rolling and see what happens. In Utah, it's a new owner, so he doesn't necessarily have that desire to be mediocre. And it's also uh, Danny Ainge, who will swing for the fences in any situation. So I'm curious because Utah at least has a ton of picks from Cleveland and from Minnesota, whereas Indiana does not have a lot of picks outside of their own. So they may decide, hey, we want to get more bites at the apple. Um, and we don't think we're going to do much as like a seven seed or eight seed that has to go play at Boston in round one, for example. Um, Portland. I was wrong about Portland. Two years ago, I had picked them to be one of the best teams in the West. I thought that Chauncey Billups was going to win coach of the year as a rookie. Uh, it ended up being a very bad season for him. And now maybe I wasn't wrong. Maybe I was just a year early because Portland has put together a pretty nice roster. It's almost like a re- evolutionary version of those mid-2010s teams with Dame. They've upgraded the McCollum spot to Anthony Simons, who, in my opinion, is a better player. He's younger, obviously. He's a phenomenal shooter, like really crazy shot-making talent. Um, and isn't necessarily as bad defensively as maybe people assume or think. Um, and then you have Jeremy Grant, who, again, they 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 traded a first-round pick for. It was some one of those things that's like, eh, Jeremy Grant, like, haven't we seen this movie before? And look at this. He's averaging 22 game. He's certainly in contention for an all-star spot. He's shooting 45% from three on almost six attempts per game. So efficiency like you've never seen before. You still have Dame as the head of the snake who, you know, despite injuries, only played 22 games this year. He's looked really good, um, 28 and, and 7. I thought he was kind of cooked. I thought he was on the back half of his career. And he still might not be prime Dame. But if you think about, like, if you think about how much um, he's gone through the last couple of years, injury-wise, the abdomen, and otherwise, I think the fact that he's back to sort of his old tricks, those old numbers, is is really impressive. And again, between him and Simons, they're together. This is just it's ridiculous. There are 21 threes attempted per game between the two of them and shooting it at a 38% clip. When you add in Grant, that's 27 threes a game shooting at roughly 39 to 40% combined amongst those three. So 
with that level of efficiency, it's hard to, um, you know, not have a good offense. And they do. Um, they're 10th in offense. Their issue is, of course, defensively, which you knew was going to be a problem. But for now, I think they're kind of staying afloat amidst a very confusing uh, West. And finally, the Kings. The Kings are one of the most fun teams, I think, I remember watching that's not necessarily, in the last few years, it's not necessarily what I'd call great. Uh, I watched the whole Nuggets-Kings game from Wednesday. Actually, Karthik was in person for that game, so we were texting uh, as we were as we were watching, and they're fun, man. Like, they don't go away. Fox is fearless. Um, he's really turned the corner. I'm trying to find a way to shoehorn him on the All-Star team because I really think they d- he deserves it. They're fifth in offense. Their issue, of course, as we know, is defensively, but when you just think about Fox, Sabonis, who, by the way, will be an All-Star this year, deservedly so, Fox, Sabonis, uh, Malik Monk, and and uh, Kevin Herter, those are four dynamite offensive options and guys who I think on any given night can give you 30. Um, on any given night, minus Sabonis can hit like eight threes. And, you know, Fox is shooting his tail off a little bit, but he's still one of the best clutch time players in the league. Uh, he proved that again against Denver when they came back big in the fourth quarter. He was making every play down the stretch, whether it was a shot, whether it was a drive, whether it was finding one of his shooters. And Malik Monk went absolutely berserk. Um, he would look pretty good on the Lakers, by the way. They should consider, uh, you know, consider him as a potential player. I don't know if, if they've ever looked at him as someone to add to their roster, but always a good option uh, to have that kind of firepower off the bench. But I like what Sacramento is doing. The question for them is, can they stay in the top six? Uh, right now, they're seventh. Uh, things are obviously moving around day to day. If they can find a way to get into that six, which is going to be tough, especially if Steph comes back uh, soon and the Warriors make a run, um, you know, that's A, going to stop one of the worst, most embarrassing streaks in sports, which is, you know, would be 17 years since their last playoff berth. Um, and then B, avoid just like the goofiness and the weirdness of the plan where you got to go against Dame and suddenly he goes for 48 or you got to go against, you know, even like the Lakers if they make a run there and you got LeBron and AD healthy or whatever it might be. Um, Utah, suddenly you're playing in, in Salt Lake City and the crowd's going crazy and it's like impossible to see what's going on. So they got to find a way to get into the top six. I don't know if it's possible. I also don't know if they have plans to maybe buyers at the trade deadline and what they can offer. I think Harrison Barnes feels like a guy who could be expendable, um, especially if Keegan Murray comes on, just because I think that he's sort of declining. His athleticism's not quite there. He's a great veteran leader, but if they can upgrade that wing spot, I think that would be really, really important uh, come March and April. All right, the next, speaking of April, that is the theme of this next category, which is call me in April. Uh, Four teams who all have varying degrees of either team pedigree or player pedigree that uh, despite a very uneven performance from all four this year, I'm not necessarily going to pay a lot of attention to them. 13, the Miami Heat. 12, the Golden State Warriors, 11, the Phoenix Suns, and 10, the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the Suns, Warriors, and Heat have all either made the finals or won the title in the last two seasons, uh, three seasons, I should say. The Clippers, of course, are a theoretical team and have been. They take the title from the Nets as the most theoretical team that we have in the NBA because their guys never actually play, but when they do play, they look great. Um, and so you look at you look at Los Angeles, and I just want to talk about them because They've always been a team that everyone was like, they have amazing depth. This is crazy. They can play so fast. They have so many shooters. They have these two amazing stars. But the problem with them is 
they don't necessarily like they're fifth defensively just because of the talent they have, the wings. They're 26th on offense, which is kind of nuts. I mean, I understand Kawhi's only played 15 games. Paul George has missed a bunch. He's played 27 games, but you got to be able to generate easier points than that. I think even if you look last night versus Boston, um, Boston was able to get shots down the stretch. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they both went for 29. And even with Kawhi and Paul George putting together one of their better performances of the season, they're not able to necessarily score as fluidly and as easily as they did a couple of years ago um, when they made that conference finals run. And some of it's just gelling. Some of it is getting your shooters to shoot well again. Um, you know, Kawhi is only 28% from three. Reggie Jackson's 35%. Um, even a guy like, you know, Nick Batum, other guys, Terrence Mann, like these guys are all going to shoot better. Uh, Robert Covington, who hasn't played in a while. So I just think that they're primed for consolidation trade. Um, They have to find another top tier, uh, I think, talent. Marcus Morris is playing a little too much for my liking, even though he's played well this year. Um, And then, like I said, Zubac is totally indispensable to what they do defensively. If he goes down or if he gets in foul trouble, they have to find a way to supplement that without going super small with Batum at the center, because I just don't think that that's a viable option against some of these bigger teams in the West. Um, And then Miami, I'll quickly touch on, I think, I've never been impressed with what they did this summer. I just thought they got worse and they added nothing and they were just hoping for internal improvement. But because it's the heat, they always figure out a freaking way to get two-way guys or G League guys or Euro League guys to suddenly look great. You know, they're now seven and three in their last 10. They got healthy Jimmy Butler. They got healthy Bam, who's playing awesome and probably going to make the all-star team. Tyler Hero's still, you know, kind of kicking his 20 points a game in and, I think the Heat are going to make a little bit of a run now. And now this is where we get serious about them getting out of the play-in and into into that upper echelon of the East. And with the Warriors, like the Warriors are a very strange team. I mean, they're 3-16 and 16 on the road. It's unbelievable. And they're 15-2 and two at home. Um, I don't know the last time we've seen such a stark departure from one to the other. Um, and with Steph out for a while, it's really a question of how long is he going to be gone? Because, you know, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, so they've, they've, they've stayed afloat without him. They have a couple of nice wins, including Christmas Day versus Memphis, a Memphis team that talks way, way, way too much for what they've done, which is exactly nothing. Um, but, you know, what is Golden State going to do? Um, and how long is Steph going to be out? Are they going to get Wiggins back soon? Are they going to get, you know, 2019 version of Clay, or at least closer to 2019 version of Clay than they've gotten? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, so I think they're an interesting team. They, they of course have those young guys. If they want to make a trade, Wiseman's shown out a couple, couple games recently, which has been kind of surprising and impressive. So, um, again, call me in April. We're not worried about them. And then finally the Suns, no Booker for a month. They need to kind of get it together. They still have this Jake Ryder situation. Like I mentioned, no Cam Johnson cause he's hurt. So, the depth is really wearing thin. Plus, you have a Chris Paul who's already been hurt this year and, oh, by the way, is 38 years old and could break down at any moment. Um, good, not great. Next tier, the nine Dallas Mavericks, eight Cleveland Cavaliers, and seven Brooklyn Nets. So the, the, the commonality between these three teams is they're all led by a superstar player. I wouldn't put Mitchell quite in the same category as Luka or KD, but point being that those players have really elevated their teams this year. They've all been fantastic. Um, Dallas, who was basically flirting with 500 all year, 
now since the 20 and 16 and you're kind of thinking, okay, well, maybe uh, they're starting to put something together. And then you remember everything goes as Luca goes. Um, 60, 21 and 20 on Wednesday and 10 on Wednesday, as I mentioned, or Tuesday last night, he had uh, 35, 13 and 13. And so you're basically, this is the 2008 Cavs all over again. You're asking him to be Superman every single night. He is capable of it, certainly. Um, but he's only 23. He's not necessarily, you wouldn't call him the, the the greatest conditioned athlete of the world. And so, therefore, you wonder, when is he going to run out of steam? Not just in the season, but even in games, right, where he has to work so hard for three quarters to get them in position that the fourth quarter starts to wilt. We've seen that in playoffs in the past. I just don't know how much he's got in the tank. And you're just, you know, Christian Wood's been solid. Spencer Dinwiddie's been solid. But I would I would say no team in the league who has a player that's of this caliber or even of a similar caliber. So you're talking to anybody who's a top 20 player in the league. This is, you know, outside of maybe Shea, the worst supporting cast. Um, and so how they upgrade here. I can't even trade their pick in 23. It's still owed to the Knicks for the Porzingis deal from way back when. Um, how they upgrade, how they kind of modify their roster without losing flexibility or making the wrong bets, which is really what the Cavs did with LeBron, where they went after you know Larry Hughes and Antoine Jameson, Ben Wallace, Shaq, all these dudes. They just can't make the wrong bets because they made it with Porzingis, and you only get really one to two shots to get it right before your player's like, yeah, you know what, I'm out of here. Like Dallas, it's been real, but I'm trying to go win. What are the Lakers up to? And that would be a worst case scenario for for Mavericks. Um, you know, Cleveland, I think Mitchell Garland pairing has been really dangerous. They've slowed a little bit since a very hot start. Um, but this is the best defensive team in the league. Um, that was always the great thing about the way they played last year, which if you remember, they were a five or six seed before Allen got hurt midseason. So everything runs through Allen and Mobley. And even last year when they were playing marketing out of position at the three, they still had a good defense because those two guys are so good. They're mobile, um, so they don't get played off the floor a la Gobert or some of these plotting bigs. Um, their switchability is amazing. Their rim protection is amazing. They cover for each other really well. And so you have this kind of perfect situation where Mitchell and Garland provide the shot making, provide the offensive creation, uh, get everyone else involved, and then Mobley and Allen clean everything up defensively. So on paper, it really works. I think what's interesting is their offense has definitely gotten better since Mitchell got there. They're still trying to figure out a little bit of the your turn, my turn thing with Garland. Like you saw in Brooklyn uh, versus Brooklyn the other night, Garland went for 45. Uh, Mitchell struggled being guarded by Ben Simmons, who we'll get to in a second. Um, and they're still kind of trying to figure it out because if you look at them, they take 36 shots combined, 37 shots combined, just the two of them. And then Mobley's at 10, Allen's at nine, Karis Levert's at 11. So it's question is, is this going to be a sustainable offense where you have two small guards generating everything? And is there a way to start getting Mobley a little bit more looks? A lot of people have been talking about how he hasn't made that leap offensively. And so the question becomes, is it because similar to what we were saying with Patrick Williams, is this an opportunity thing or is this a skill set thing? And I think with Mobley, it's more opportunity. Um, that's a lot of shots coming from your guards, but he's definitely got to be more aggressive as well to, to capitalize on, especially with with smaller guys on him, if it's a stretch four, it's when he's playing in the four, or with bigger guys on him because he has that quickness, he has that athleticism to get around him. All right, 
we're almost at the one minute, one hour mark. Um, I'm still going. I wish I had some water with me, but you know, we're, uh, we're going to kind of keep it going. I mean, it's new year's day tomorrow. So I got nothing but college football, relaxing, celebrating in my future. At least I can do is, you know, turn out an hour and a half podcast here or hour and 10 minutes, let's call it. Um, Brooklyn is the most fascinating team in the league. Uh, They've won 14 out of 15. The one loss being to Boston kind of handily. They've now up to sixth offensively and more importantly, ninth defensively. So they've rocketed all the way up to second in the East. KD is an MVP candidate. He's first team all NBA candidate. Kyrie Irving. Putting aside um, sharing random anti-Semitic documentaries on uh, on his Instagram for fairly no reason, and then sort of having one of the more bizarre press conferences trying to explain it, is playing like an all-star. He has been amazing this year. I mean, he's averaging 26, 5, and 5, shooting the ball well. He's up to now. He was starting a little slow from three. He's up to 36% from three, 49% from the field, 58% on twos. I mean, these two, Kevin Durant is 62% on twos, which is a career high for him. 56% from the floor, another career high. And they're combined, you know, 12 attempts a game from the free throw line, shooting it at 92%. So this is about as dominant of an offensive duo, pure offensive duo, as, as we have in the league. Um, I would put them right up there with Jalen and Jason in Boston as far as offense. Those two guys get the edge defensively. Um, but, but, you know... It's been amazing to watch. Like Nick Claxton is going to get all defense votes for sure, despite being undersized, despite having problem guarding a guy like Joel Embiid, for example, or Giannis. They look really good defensively because they're playing with a lot of cohesion. And the thing is, if people remember last year, everyone's like, well, the Nets were basically healthy minus Ben Simmons. Is that really going to change their ability to not get swept by Boston? And while I would certainly still pick Boston in the series, what you have to remember is they made a lot of changes to that roster to normalize the shape. Last year, three of their top like seven guys were Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, and Patty Mills. That's not going to work against a team with long, athletic, big wings and big, big, bigs, frankly. So what do they do? They went and, well, for, for one, they got a healthy Joe Harris back. Then they got um, TJ Warren. Uh, they signed him to a very cheap deal. They traded for Royce O'Neal. They got Ben Simmons back. So suddenly you had four dudes who are in that, 6'6 six, six to 6'10 six, range, athletic, can either shoot, can defend a little bit, you know, maybe not Joe Harris as much on the defense and maybe not Ben Simmons so much on the shooting, but all can play around Durant, can play around Kyrie. And by, by the way, Kyrie Durant has also been an amazing defender this year. And so when you add that all up, you add the evolution of Nick, Nick Claxton and you add even a guy like Utah Wantanabe who's shooting 52% from three this year, there's a lot of weapons for this team to score efficiently against any defense and for them to defend at a high level unless they just get absolutely punked by a Joel Embiid who, you know, he punks everyone in the league. So it's hard to really say that we have the Embiid antidote. I don't know that I would put this team, and the reason why they're in the good, not great category and not one of the other two top two is because I just don't know yet. I think we need to see it a little longer. I'm very encouraged by what I saw both in person when they watched the – watch them against Wizards, and then also just, you know, when they beat Milwaukee, when they beat Cleveland. So it wasn't just beating up on these bad teams. It was actually going to the top teams and and, and taking them out. They hammered the Warriors, granted, without Stephen Wiggins, but still an impressive win to beat them by 35 points. And their schedule is going to toughen up a little bit here in January, and so proof will be in the pudding. If they're still in that top two, three range, 
by the All-Star break, I think you have to take them really seriously as a title contender. All right. The last two categories. So I have fringe contenders and I have blue blood title favorites. We're going to talk about them together because I think there's certainly some contenders you could push up and maybe one in the bottom category, in the top category you could push down. So fringe contenders, I got six. Memphis Grizzlies, five. New Orleans Pelicans, four. Philadelphia 76ers, and three Denver Nuggets. In the Blue Bloods title favorites, I have two Milwaukee Bucks and one, who I think is almost, I almost debated putting them in their own categories, the Boston Celtics. So with the fringe contenders, Memphis, Ja is famously, uh, in, in the interview with Malik Andrews, said that the only team he's worried about in the NBA is the Celtics. She pushed back and said, what about the West, uh, a.k.a. you play in the Western Conference and therefore you need to win three rounds before you could potentially even face a team like the Celtics? He said, I'm not worried about the West. Tells me two things. One, this team is quickly becoming one of the more delusional teams of all time, similar but not wholly different to the 2017 Wizards who told everyone that the Cavs were scared of them and didn't want to play them in the playoffs and then were unable to reach the Cavs in that matchup uh, when I when they lost the Celtics, as I mentioned. Um, and two, they're really, really confident in their current roster. And I don't know how many more trades or moves they're going to make. Maybe something around the fringes, but they think with the healthy Desmond Bain, with the healthy Triple J, and with a healthy job, they can take on anybody in the West. I don't disagree that that is top-end talent, um, unless, you know, Jaron Jackson gets into a competition like he did with Cat of who can commit dumber and quicker fouls in a playoff game, um, in which case you don't have one of those three players for, for a large portion. But I put them behind the Pelicans for this reason. I think when you look at what the Pelicans have done with Brandon Ingram missing a bunch of time this season, with Herb Jones missing a bunch of time this season, and more importantly, with Zion starting to look like the Zion of two years ago where he's just a physical presence you cannot do anything with. He gets to the rim at will and he completes, you know, opportunities at a high level. I just think they have it all. They, they can play every brand of basketball. And the only reason they're not in the title favorites is because we just haven't seen them do it before. And so Zion is 26 and seven a game shooting 61% from the field. It's really an incredible season from him. He's going to be an all-star starter. He's going to be second team team all NBA, I think as at this point. And like I mentioned, you don't even have your second best player in Brandon Ingram. And so he's only played, I mean, if you look at it, Ingram's only played 15 games this season. Um, Herb Jones has only played 23. Even Zion's only played 26, CJ 20, 30. So they have guys that have not been there for a bulk of the time for them to be first and tied for first with Denver in the West at this stage, I think it's not something that they were expected to be this good this quickly. And most importantly, I've been pointing this to a lot today. The sixth in defensive rating is really important because when you look at this team, nobody necessarily in their starting lineup beyond Herb Jones projected as a above-average defender, um, but they've been playing with such a frenetic pace. A guy like Larry Nance off the bench has been amazing for them to spell Jonas Valanciunas and play next to Zion and clean up a lot of that mess down low. I think they could make a run. I would not be surprised with the conference finals trip Finals trip, maybe just a tad, uh, but but I think, um, you know, we'll see what happens because Denver is the other team in, in this category in the West, and they are the top-ranked West team in my power poll. And the reason they're not in the top category is just defensively. I don't know what they're going to be when the chips are on the table. You saw it against Sacramento. Again, they couldn't get stops down the stretch. 
Um, and we're not sure what version of Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray we're going to get. These are guys who are not tier one or tier two stars at this point in their careers. And you're playing with a megastar who's maybe the best player in the world. There's such a gap between him and the next best player on that team, which puts a lot of pressure on Jokic to be singularly outstanding every night. Kind of similar to Luka, um, but the stakes are even higher given what they've spent on this roster and given how they've locked in this core uh, for the foreseeable future. You know, a guy like Porter, it's interesting. A lot of people call him a 6'10 Clay, and I look at him like, dude, at least Clay will get off shots at all times. With Michael Porter, there's so much passivity that he plays with. I just feel like I'm never watching a guy who gets paid $180 million over five years. He's a guy who looks like he's on a mid-level exception and it's the greatest deal in the NBA versus being a max player. Um, again, who should be putting the ball up more than 13 times a game. If he's as good as he, his efficiency screams, you know, 47% from the field, 42% from three on six attempts, seven attempts a game, it's a cheat code. So why can't that seven be 11 attempts a game? You know, Dame's doing it. Anthony Simons is doing it. There's clearly an ability to to get more shots up. Some of it is, is how passive he is. Some of it is, you know, his ball handling. Uh, just not being able to get enough open looks on his own. A lot of it has to be generated by by passes, most notably from Jokic or Murray. So that, that there is the challenge. Um, and then finally, Blue Blood title favorites. I debated dropping Milwaukee out of this. They've struggled, but I just think with with how much Middleton time Middleton has missed, it would be unfair because I do think he's their second best player. All apologies to Drew Holiday. Um, and 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 I think that you know I expect. Giannis to play a little bit better he's actually, he actually had a weird efficiency slump where he's taking a ton of shots like for example against the Bulls he took 17 free throws and 39 field goal attempts um, which is very unlike Giannis given the types of shots he gets to require that many shots to score 45 um, but I think Milwaukee is going to be fine I mean I think once they have their full complement you know Chris has played in seven out of what seven out of 34 games this season um and you have Brooke Lopez, who's kind of having a throwback defensive player of the year level year. You know, you have Giannis still 32 and 12 doing his thing. And Drew Holiday, who I, I also think is going to be in the All-Star game, 19 and 8. So not worried about the Bucs. They've done this before. This exact core has gone through the gauntlet, has won a title. Do not have any questions about them. But I do think the number one, clear number one team is the Boston Celtics. Um they got Rob Williams back, so the offense did dip just a touch. Uh, not necessarily because he came back, but I do think both their ridiculous shooting stretch as well as um, bringing in a non-shooter into that lineup hurts. But guess what? They're still first in offense. They're just not at 122 points per 100 possessions or whatever crazy number they're at. They're still at 118, which is among the greatest teams of all time. Defensively, they're up to eighth. Uh, that was a concern. I think they were 15th or 16th last time we talked about them, so the clear impact of Rob Williams. And then the first in net rating. I just think they have every type of player you could want. They could play every style you want. And right now, Jason Tatum, if he's not first on your MVP ballot, is probably second or third at the lowest. And so you have a player who's playing like a top five guy. You have depth around him. You have a second star in Jalen Brown who can be the number one on any night. They've got it all. It's just about staying healthy, keeping the momentum. And, you know, anything can happen in April, but... They are the prohibitive finals favorites for a number of reasons, but I think just given um, all the different ways they can play, plus they have the benefit of this core, not just having gone through the finals loss last year, but you know, Tatum and Brown have made four or five conference finals at this point, 
right? Like this is not something that is new to them. For example, Philadelphia is a popular finals team or was preseason. Embiid has never played in the conference finals. And I think the level of pressure, the level of focus, the level of sort of, you know, the microscope at those stages is just different. Um, and these guys have gone through it once. They've seen what it's like. They were up 2-1 in the finals and blew it. I know they feel like they blew it. And so they're going to come back. And, you know, if I had to re-pick my selection right now, I think I went Bucks clippers preseason. I think I would go Boston over Milwaukee at this point. And the Clippers, I mean, who knows? Theoretical team, call me in April, as we talked about. But Denver? Would Boston-Denver be improbable? I mean, that's probably the two betting favorites right now. So it's certainly not a an upset to pick that. But just kind of wild to think that, um, that, you know, some of these teams, like we haven't even really talked about the Warriors who won the title last year. I haven't really spent much time on the Suns who won 64 games last year. Miami, who was within a Jimmy Butler three of making the final. So a lot of basketball left to be played, uh, but that's kind of where I'd stand right now. So that is it. That is all 30 teams. I don't think I can, I honestly probably can't record a podcast for like a month. I don't have anything else to say. Um, you know, this is like I mentioned the first time sort of going at this solo. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Um, I certainly need to be hydrated right now. I can barely talk. Uh, so so, uh, you know, that, that's a wrap for me. We're going to welcome back with open arms Karthik next week because this was very, very difficult. But he also needs to text me back because he has to produce this. I don't know how to use these tools. I'm just the guy with the mic. He's the guy doing everything else in addition to spit and fire takes. So this is what it's like when, you know, you just take your partner for granted and all of a sudden you're, you're caught on an island without, without an answer here. But at any rate, Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We wish you all the best uh, New Year's. Hope 2023 is amazing. We'll talk to you in the next calendar year. And thanks for listening.